stay tuned for The Lynn Show. Today, I'm airing an interview I did with Mike Poulter, who is half of Lynn Jackson and Mike Poulter, the extraordinary musicians and the creators of Jazz is a Rainbow. Michael is funny and interesting, and his story is unique. So hang on. Here come the show. Hello, and welcome to The Lynn Show. The Lynn Show is about being the person you really are, not the person you think you should be, the person you were told you were supposed to be, the person you're pretending to be, but the person you really are. And um, as a psychotherapist, I believe that many of us are not being the person we really are, but some of those other things. And in all of my shows, I talk about why this is, how this happens, what you could do about it. In addition, I interview people who make their living or their life with an art. And I do this because when you hear them talk, you can hear what it sounds like to be who you really are. We make it so difficult for people to be artists in this culture that it has to be what you really are in order for people to risk it. Today's interview is with Mike Poulter, and Michael demonstrates what it means to be who you really are. I'm not going to say any more about that because I cannot do it justice. Michael will make it plain. Next week, I will be playing an interview with Michael's partner and wife, Lynn Jackson. He will refer to her many times in this interview. Now here is Mike Poulter. Okay, so I'm here with Mike Poulter in a house in Salem, Massachusetts. And I'm explaining to Michael that I interview people who make their living or their life with an art. Mm -hmm. And what I know is that Mike has made his life with the art of music. Right. And I only ask one question, Michael. And that is, do you remember the very first time in your life when music spoke to you? Yes. Good. When? Maybe I was two or three years old, and a very old, even then she was old, <laughs> black woman would keep me on her lap and hum to me. Her name was Anna. She was from the South, and her best friend was Marian Anderson. Oh, my God. I guess all the music in my life began with Anna. That's what I vividly remember. And as I speak to you now, I can hear her voice. I'd see her. And my mom was a professional singer. She would be out most nights performing. Father and mother were also business people. So they worked 12 hours a day. And often people would mind me during the day. And what my mother did before she left for work, we had an old phonograph. She'd stack many, many, many 78s, and I'd be on the rug, and she'd press the start. And that's where I heard all of that music. I was little. What are we talking about now? Four? I was four years old, five, six, seven years old, and then when we moved from one town to another, there was a big living room with a piano, and I would sit at the piano and try. I couldn't play the piano, but you sit at the piano and try to play it. Or sit under the piano. <laughs> While somebody else played or just no. under the piano? And think about what I might play. Really? Yeah, that's true. I often would just lie under the piano. 
At some point, did you take music lessons? No. You never Every, took music? No, everything you ask me has a story. But well, I'll, well, I'd like to hear you, that one. When I was very young, my mother finally arranged piano lessons for me. However, after taking, I believe it were two lessons, <laughs> my mother got a call from her best friend, Frida, and Frida said, my daughter would love to take piano lessons too, but we don't have, you know, we don't have them. My mom discontinued my piano lessons, and wait a minute, and used the money okay, to pay for Frida's daughter's piano lessons. That was okay. I didn't really like taking piano, but I guess Frida's daughter did. Her name was Frida Kahn, and her little daughter was named Madeline. Oh, you're kidding. Madeline Kahn, who became a wonderful musician. Yes, she did. That's what I do. I'm self-taught, and I've always heard music. And you know, those 78s were not just popular. It wasn't just popular music. It was uh, all the old white guys, (laughs) so to speak. Yeah, and so I always knew music and, and think of melodies, and of course I became a word person anyhow. Yes. So, but, but music, I guess I've always had that one way or the other, either from Anna or from the old people living in the, the, the shtetl somewhere. <laughs> But before that, right. that like the people carried it in their hearts and their souls and on their lips. Well, okay, wait a second. Hold yeah. on. All right. I know you as a bass player. One day. What? One day in Los Angeles after Lynn and I had moved there. Okay, no, we're ahead of ourselves right, then. Well, okay, so did you play? Did you, you, that's the story. Did you start to play anything? or You, if you started to for play? For years. Yeah. I played. I couldn't play piano. This is sounds strange to your listeners. <laughs> because I only played in the key of C. <laughs> well, not I, only you. Wasn't it Irving Berlin who only yeah, played in C? Yeah, but at least he had a transposing piano. <laughs> That's right. He had a mechanical piano. Yeah, right. So, however, I played piano professionally and sang for many, many years, beginning at the age of 17. I played perhaps for a... I, well, I played for many, many, many years. And I... When I, I learned the technique of when songs went into a different key, for instance, at the bridge. Right. I found ways. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's strange. <laughs> I told you my story is very strange. Anyhow, yes, I played the piano. And sometimes I played with bass, good bass players. That's right. And so on. Anyhow, that's that's. Okay, so now I'm just I'm and dying. I sang. I always sang, I, even though I had a lisp. And one of my first tunes was "The Wheel of Fortune," and my mother made me sing it to her bridge club, because she loved the song and I loved to sing it, except for the bridge, when the wheel goes spinning, spinning, spinning. <laughs> I had a terrible, very pronounced lisp, but I worked through it, and now, you know. Now you can do spinning, spinning, spinning? Sometimes. (laughs) Okay, so wait, 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 wait. I am terribly curious. Yeah. Did you you suddenly one day say, I am going to figure out how to play this thing, the piano, and you sat down and... No. No, what happened? How did you, how did you go from, I'm under the piano, to I'm playing, you know, I'm getting paid to play? Well, you listen to, uh, and that King Cole record. Right. Or you listen to a song like Smile, you know, right. Charlie Chaplin. Right. I don't know. Ding, 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 ding. 
Okay, so you can you can get you can work Why out not? the mel, mel, you can Why work not? out the melody. Oh, I would I retain melody. Okay, you so you can work out the melody, but what about the harmony? What about the left hand? I retain melody, and I automatically retain all the harmonies. You can hear them. I hear rather. I hear and retain all the harmonies. So then you're just. You're just looking for them on the piano. But I I understand that. So that's what I'm saying. You're just looking for them on the piano. You know what they're supposed to sound like. Oh, I know know exactly what they're supposed to be. But so then you're, 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 Sam, and I I did this myself. So you're looking for the combination of notes that's going to duplicate what you hear in your head. Always. And then once you got that, do you just remember it? I always remember it. So then you can play that song, a, which you have worked out. There's a, bit, there's a gap between remembering it and have, having the physical dexterity yeah, yeah. to play it. So that's, well, anyhow. So um, I did the best I could. But e- and even though I always heard the correct melodies, yes, that doesn't mean I could play them. Play them, I understand. Okay, I well, but the melody, it doesn't matter that much. You can sing it. I mean, even though I heard the correct uh, harmonies, oh, right. I couldn't play them. Play them. Oh, I, I always could sing them. I, always I could got it, I got and it. And I could hear it. Generally speaking, I could hear it once and remember it. And that, I've been able to do that for, since I was five, maybe. That's uh, amazing. Or uh, maybe younger. Uh, some people do that, and, and the, the, more, the, the more intelligent of them actually take lessons <laughs> and, and learn and then become masters or whatever. Uh, well, 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 no, but... They do. Well, apparently it wasn't required here. So, so okay, so you're playing the piano, yeah. and you're singing, and yes. you're making some money at it, because you're... Yes, yeah, yeah, right. right. I even had a different name at, a, some, at some point, and I looked differently. Well... I looked a little different. I was younger. I was just going to say. Right. Mike Paul. Oh, very, very, uh, was very wasp. Very, oh yeah, that's true, too. Yeah, I never right. thought of that, but yeah. yeah right. and Mike Paul. Very, and very I would play middle on the road. I played with a drummer and a bass player. Both of whom always were accomplished musicians, and all and many of whom over the years would have, would smile, was they knew I was playing in one key, but of course the drummer, what do they know anyhow? Right, what do they care? Do they so care? the so the so the bass player also had to play in C. <laughs> <laughs> it's very funny. Okay, fine. So um, at some point you meet Lynn. I meet Lynn. Lynn. Meet Lynn. L- Lynn being. At some the, point I meet Lynn. I. Uh, my, our fathers are played off together. Our fathers who oh. are both radicals, both old reds. Right. But that's beside the point. They, 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 they're golf partners. They play golf together. They're terrible golfers. <laughs> because they're terrible golfers, mm-hmm. they find themselves in the rough. Looking, oh, as I say, looking for their balls month <laughs> after month, year <laughs> after year. It's really true. And what do you do when you, you're talking? Right. And what happened? It's all true what happened. Hey, I've got a son. I was then living at home. Hey, I've got someone living at home. Oh, yeah? They're eating me out of house and home. It really is kind of true. So they arranged for us to meet. And I went to Lynn's home. I lived in Lynn, Massachusetts at that point. Mm-hmm. Lynn lived in Swampscott, Massachusetts, <laughs> a neighboring town. We didn't know each other. I walked into this home and in the, in the, the large house. And way down the hallway, I could see there was a sunroom. And there was a person sitting there, it was Lynn, with long, long black hair going all the way down to her ankles, maybe, her knees, holding the guitar. That was the first vision of Lynn. 
It was an incredible thing. It was really incredible. And I, I uh, walked in, I introduced myself, and I said, yeah, I, uh, you know, I'm in uh, the business. <laughs> I was playing uh, like right. bowling alleys, so right. barely that. And, um, you know, looking for a person to join my group. Oh, very clever. Because I had that group. I played piano, a bass drum. And she said, well, uh, what do you play? I said, I play the piano. <laughs> what do you play? She said, well, I play the piano. And I said, perfect. <laughs> this is exactly what happened. It's exactly what happened. And she really did play the piano. She actually played the piano. <laughs> right, right, right. And so we, 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 we started and we rehearsed songs together. The very first song we rehearsed together was When I'm 64. Oh, you're kidding. That's very funny. Thinking, isn't this funny? Can you imagine us ever even seeing this song yeah, right. when we're, we're 64? Right. That would be obviously impossible. Yeah, that's right, right, right. Uh, how ironic. Anyhow, and we opened at the Boston Playboy Club. Wow. Two weeks later. The four of you or the two of you? Just the two of us. Oh, my. Well, what were you doing then if she was playing piano? I was, I'm sorry, before that, Yeah. before that, we were driving along with two of our friends on, on a turnpike in western Massachusetts and the, a, a very dangerous blizzard was occurring. Mm -hmm. And we got off the road, fortunately. I think we might have been killed if we, mm -hmm. we, we walked into a club. It was the only light we saw. Mm -hmm. And there was a big guy there playing organ. His name was George Fingers Pearson, <laughs> playing the organ, an African-American guy, wonderful guy. And we sat there and we were so glad to be alive. Right. And the owner was sitting at the bar. And George Fingers Pearson looked out at the tremendous crowd. There was no one there. <laughs> just Lynn and me and our two friends. He said, hey, anyone want to sit in? And I said, sure. And Lynn said, what? We'd only met like two weeks before. That, that's, this is. And come on. And we went up there. And uh, she played his organ. I sang something. And the owner said, you're great. Would you like to work here? That's it. That's what happened. And we worked at that place. She played and you sang. She played. No, that's not what happened. I'm sorry, I got no, it. I'm, I think you're right. I played the organ, because I could play a little piano, right? right, right. In C. Right. And she sang. And he hired us. And so we began with me playing the piano and her playing the cocktail drums. <laughs> That's what happened. A duo. We played there seven days a week. Oh, my God. On Sunday, we played in the afternoon and at night. And we played for $90 a week. For the two of you. Of course. Right. And lunch. <laughs> the food was terrible. It's true. Anyhow, then, and we played there for a while. But then, amidst that gig, Lynn said to me, you know, I'm getting a little tired of singing everything you see. <laughs> I said, well, what do we do? She said, why don't you let me play the piano? This is exactly what happened. Now I'm remembering. It was a long time ago. 
and I began to play the cocktail drum, and then we hired a great bass player, great bass player, and we worked as that trio for a while, and then we went to the Playboy Club. The three of you. Well, just me and Lynn. Right. And we were fired after the first <laughs> set. Oh. I was, well, we, we didn't know too many songs. <laughs> and to fill in for the, what we didn't know, right. I was doing routines. Like, oh, you're kidding. You know me, because I do, I think I do comedy, which I, of course I don't. I, I was, uh, a very funny thing happened to us on the oh, way to the playboy club. And I, blah, 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 and not a laugh. <laughs> not, to, it was total silence. Oh, what did Lenny, what was his impression? Oh, an oil painting. <laughs> And it was a convention of, like, Hungarian physicists oh, from MIT. Right. They didn't even know what I was saying. So we were fired after one set. But anyhow, didn't, that didn't, uh, phase oh, didn't phase us. Mm -hmm. And we, uh, then we, we began to play more seriously with Lynn on the piano. Oh, no. No, no. We hired a trio. We hired a trio. We just did stand-up. And we the got two of you. just uh, five of us. Yeah, we hired a pianist, oh bassist, and drummer, and Lynn and I did a stand-up, doing what we really did, singing. Right, right, right. And we got a wonderful review in the Boston Globe mm -hmm. from the senior critic, and he said, you guys should go to California. These people are so great. They should go. There's a place in Los Angeles called the Cock and Bull. They have, you should go there. That's exactly where you should go. You guys are great. We saved our money. We couldn't have, didn't have any money. <laughs> you asked this question. Yeah, right. So we were at Berkeley, the Berkeley School of Music, across the street in the drugstore, <laughs> across from the Berkeley School of Jazz Music. And I was lamenting the fact that, well, we have this, got this great review. Everyone had read, read the review. You got this great review. I was talking to an acquaintance of ours. He said, yeah, and he said, we should go to L.A. I'm going to save, we're going to save our money and we're going to go. And he said, you always tell me the story. You always tell me, oh, you actually did the L.A., blah, 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 blah. Took his checkbook out of his pocket. Oh, my God. Wrote a check for 700 bucks. Said, get out of here. Oh, my God. We did. Within a week. A lot of other things happened, too, but basically that's what happened. I mean, this guy. We yeah. didn't, he was, he was not, wasn't a friend, just an acquaintance. He was bellyaching about this for all these years, or for all this time. Right. We hadn't known each other that long. But, and so we went to L.A., and we went to directly to Sunset Boulevard <laughs> yeah. to the Cock and Bull. And I walked, we walked into the <laughs> Cock and Bull. Right. I didn't see any sign for entertainment, right. but I walked in, and, this, and we walked in. We, find, we saw the Major D, and I said, could you tell us? You know, where you're at, uh, the cock and bull, the cocktail lounge is with a piano. And he said, oh, you must mean the turkey buffet. <laughs> we haven't had a piano here for years. <laughs> no wonder the critic was the senior critic of the Boston Globe. <laughs> like he must have seen Mari Amsterdam there <laughs> in 1947. <laughs> so there we were in Los Angeles uh, with whatever was left of the 700, right. which was... And there we were. And what year was that? 1970. Wow. Okay. So now, there somehow, you find the base. So, Lynn 
and I have no money. Right. We go to get money. <laughs> we go to a park in Studio City where there are tennis courts mm -hmm. because we had visited there one night and just by chance I noticed that there were all these tennis courts and, that, and a lot of doctors and professional people and so on play there. And the tennis courts, they have these benches mm -hmm. with slits in them. Yeah. And I used to find money under the benches. And every night we'd go, I'd bring a racket. <laughs> and Lynn and I would look under the benches. And we'd find not just coins, but money. My God. I mean, it, money. And uh, Lynn almost went to, oh, she applied for work at a, uh, oh, the, at a temp, um, the guy who was a television style, Bob, Bob Cummings. Oh. Bob Cummings had a business where, uh, I have a word of hand, where uh, Bob Cummings had a business where uh, you answer phones or something and Lynn uh, tried to get that job and I think she worked there for a day or two and I, I, I didn't have, and uh, we were living, anyhow, we, we, we got some gigs, we eventually got some gigs, and that's a whole other stuff, but we got some gigs. So, here we are living in an apartment, and one evening, one night, I think it was 3 a.m., of an acquaintance, well, someone, knock, I hear a knock at the door, I open the door, there's a guy there holding an enormous piece of canvas. Yeah. Name is is uh, Uart, not oh, it is Ted Uart is his name, and he puts it down on my living room and he says, he's a bass player. He said, listen, last time I left my apartment, oh, he was the bass player for Trini Lopez. Really? He said, the last two times I've left my apartment in the valley to play with Trino on the road, my my axes have been stolen, my basses have been stolen, stolen. My apartment was burglarized. Anyhow, I'm leaving my axe here. Axe? <laughs> and he disappears. And that piece of canvas stays on our rug for two or three or four days. Yeah. Untouched. Right. And then one day, what the hell? I unzip it. Take it out. It's a, it's, it's a base. Lynn tells me it's a bass. <laughs> she, she helps me tune it up. She went to music school. Right. Okay. And I start plunking. And something remarkable happens. Now, if you follow this story, all musicians who hear this story, including you, will understand the miracle of what happened. Yeah. I only played in the key of C. Those raised black notes, yeah. those, in other words, they're really frets. Those black raised black notes are frets. Right. <laughs> oh my God. I'm playing this bass. There are no ridges or anything. Right. Everything is the same key. Oh my God. Everything. You know what I'm saying? Yes, I do. So Lynn puts on a thing and I start playing along with it just because I get things quickly musically. And she said, you realize you're playing in B flat. I said, <laughs> Isn't that, isn't that incredible? And I literally picked up the bass. 
You managed to drag from the, from the floor. From the floor. Picked up the bass. And so I became, okay, so I start playing the bass, but always with a tremendous sense of self-consciousness, because I know I can't play the bass. Yeah, right. But, you know, days pass into weeks, pass into months, pass into years, and I'm playing the bass, and that's right. playing the piano, right. and we're even starting to record, and I'm playing the bass, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And so, okay, but I know I'm... I'm, I'm and I play the bass, not correctly, because when I play, it's, it's like a bass on a drum at the same time, because it's so percussive. Yeah, that's right. Because right, I have no real right, tremendous right. dexterity. It's just, well... You know, I get the notes, but I We're playing a gig. Yeah. The uh, Ritz Hotel in Pasadena, California. Huntington, the Huntington Sheridan Hotel in Pasadena, California. Lynn's playing the piano, I'm playing the bass. Right. So we set up all the equipment, you know, and playing bass. And I'm playing, and, and there was a whole bunch of... In the, co in the cocktail lounge, and we're getting applause, but it's mostly <laughs> guys there. Hardly any women, which is very unusual. Mostly guys, like younger type guys are hanging around. And they give me applause, and they're, they're gathering around the piano bar and watching me. And a lot of them are, like, watching how I'm playing. I think, well, whatever, that's nice. So, at the end of the set, I say to the waitress, who are these people? Right. You know, it's kind of like they're all looking at us and applauding. She's, there's, some, there's some band from Germany. <laughs> it was the Berlin Philharmonic. Oh, my God. <laughs> and especially the string section, they were fascinated. I'll bet by your technique. Yes. <laughs> Honest to God, that I'll happened. Bet. After that night, I thought, what well, the I must play the bass. What the hell? <laughs> right, right. What the hell? Right. And uh, yeah. we became friends with many of them, and their pictures of, to this day over our piano and their signatures. And, uh, and uh, they thought Lynn was... Uh, Oh, so, just to tell you, I invited them to, not the whole orchestra, but I invited four of them over to our house for breakfast. Mm -hmm. What did I serve? Lots eggs and onions. <laughs> and they said, we've never had that before. And I said, I know. <laughs> it's all true. Uh, life is so, but anyhow, yeah, I mean, so, yeah. So, I guess music was always there. Apparently. Okay, so now we're, what? 19 what? It's 1970. Lynn and I are in still? Los Angeles. Still it's 1970? Well, no, it's 1970. And then we play at, we play, okay, we're playing at the Huntington Sheridan. Right. And we have a contract. Right. And that was fine. And it's just the two of you. Lynn and me. Right. Just the two. She's playing piano, I'm playing bass. Until one night we walk in and the manager says, you can't play here anymore. It's over. I said, what do you mean? We just signed the contract right. for another year. Right. They had just discovered a fault line, uh -oh. an earthquake fault line under the hotel. Oh my God! They said we're going to have to tear down the entire hotel, oh my God. which eventually they they did. But uh, they said no more work for you. Right, right. So you know, anyhow. don't take it personally. Don't take it personally. <laughs> it's not your fault. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's not your fault. Right, right, right. Uh, it's San, San Andreas. It's, it's, it's San Andreas. It's an old California joke. Yeah, no. So that was that. But um, so we continue to play, and then. And then, mm -hmm. important single events happen. Mm. We're writing songs. Mm -hmm. yeah, we're trying to write songs. Uh -huh. And we have a kind of a nice relationship with the people at Chapel Music. Mm -hmm. It's not a professional relationship. It's a social relationship. Oh. Because I decide that become, to become successful, we have to go to 
that, oh, it's at the, uh, the it's in the Capitol Records building. Okay, I don't know what it is. Uh, uh, next to the Capitol, whatever, Chapel Music. Oh, yeah, okay. It's now Warner Chapel. And we go to the office, and we sit there, says Mr. We have to say, oh, uh, no, he's in a meeting, but uh, if you wait, you know, and we wait. And we wait, like, all day. And, and then they close the office, and we go home. And we did that. Day after day after day after day. You're kidding. You knew who you were asking for? Well, we asked for whoever. I see. They told, gave us the name. I see. So they you just sat the there name. and waited day after day after day? Yeah. And what happened? Well, they, they, never, they, never, they were too busy to see <laughs> us. Ultimately, at the end of the day, one of them came in. David Jacobs and John DeVarian. Those are the two people. David Jacobs has, has passed. John DeVarian is still alive and is a friend of ours. Mm -hmm. He said, you again? <laughs> I, all right, come on in here. Right. He said, no, I realize, I realize you guys are very busy, blah, blah, blah. And they laughed. Right. And they said, do you know what we spend, what we do here during the day? I said, yeah, well, I know you do. have to evaluate music and all right, these people right. coming in. And he said, here's what we do. And he, this is not happy now. <laughs> he had some music on his, and they, you know, they looked at it and they would, they had a circular file. Oh, dear. Right. Right. That, well, because most of what they received, right. some of what they received was sure from the songwriters you and I know. Johnny Mandel would come there, whatever, But mostly people said, oh, that's chapel music. Why don't we try that? You know. But, and they loved us because we were kind of a comic relief. I was just going to say. <laughs> and we were nice and we were, and we, and, and they loved Lynn. Yeah. They loved Lynn. And, once in a while, we'd bring in something, and they'd love it. They actually loved our music. Right. And finally, we got to the point where David Jacobs and John DeVarian said, let's start with this one song, because John heard the song. He loves it. He thinks it will be perfect for Frank. Oi. Amazing. He died. Oh, he died. Frank Sinatra died. He passed away. Before he, before he could get it to him. But anyhow, oh, you, 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 no. Well, we haven't exactly been lucky in our lives. We've been lucky in our lives, right? But we haven't been but lucky in our careers. Right. We've never been professionally lucky. No, ever. I know, I know. Anyhow, it's a, but 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 anyhow. So we went through a long period of of that, and oh, so. We finally, I finally thought we had written a song that was absolutely perfect for commercial release. Mm -hmm. It was called, She Stole Me With Her Smile. Mm -hmm. She stole me with her smile. Whatever. And it was all set to be taken to chapel. I, I, we knew this was going to be wonderful. Right. And I was watching television. And there was a news report about a famine in Ethiopia. Mm -hmm. A gigantic famine in Ethiopia. And I thought of some words. And I put them to the melody of She Stole Me With Her Smile. You're kidding. We dream a brighter day. Mm -hmm. Sisters and brothers hand in hand will find a way. Was She Stole Me With Her Smile. <laughs> We uh, decided to record it, and Chick Korea, the mm -hmm. famous guy, mm -hmm. allowed us to use his studio and his engineer, 
and donated the tape mm -hmm. and the time. And we and Thelma Houston's sister and, and uh, uh, Nick, Nick Ciroli, the great drummer, who's now since passed, but helped us, they all helped us. And we recorded We Dream a Brighter Day, and a lot of things happened, but we brought it physically to the United Nations. Oh my God. We brought it physically to the United Nations. On a cassette small, as small as that, or maybe larger, but on a tape, you know, mm -hmm. cassette. <laughs> with, two, with two sets of earphones, that's all we had. And we were able, a friend was able to arrange a meeting in a huge conference room with a long table with 12 or 14 dignitaries there representing 14 countries. And they said, what are you here for? <laughs> we said, we have a song. <laughs> they said, you have a song. Oh, right. They said, you realize we have submissions from the Beatles? from yeah, the right, yeah. They said, we're just ordinary people. We're musicians. But we have a special song. They said, all right, let's hear it. I said, well, that's the problem. <laughs> this is true. You can only hear it two at a time. <laughs> and the guy from Great Britain said, we can only hear it two at a time. And the other guys were talking other languages. It was so funny. And as it was played around the table, right. they were, a couple of them were teary-eyed. Wow. And they, it was very, very emotional. And they selected it to be performed on Earth Day at the United Nations. What year was this? As a UN anthem. And it had to be in the mid-70s. In the mid-70s. Lynn would know the date. I mean, she may not know. I mean, I... That's all right. We're going to talk to Lynn. It's very much documented. But um, it's very documented. And, uh, and we rehearsed with the Simon Baruch Madrigal Choir in Brooklyn, African-American group, with their robes and everything, and performed in the main hall of the United oh Nations to all the delegates, and it was a very, very, very emotional, extraordinary, and, uh, and we subsequently performed it there again at another time, and it was taken, it has been taken around the world, that song, wow. by many choruses, etc., etc., and it's on, even on a new CD, on a new Christmas CD, we, we Dream of Brighter Day. And you didn't bring me it? Oh, I do. I did. Did you bring it it's to me? On one, it's well, on, well, the, then you will it's hear on later, one of the CDs. Because yeah. then I'll play it. That's right. right. Okay, good. So, uh, and it's helped to raise money uh, for the combat famine. Actually, it even raised money during the AIDS crisis for, uh, uh, what are those, have, have, hospice, hospices uh -huh. and AIDS treatment. And it helped to raise, it was used at the Duke Children's Pediatric AIDS Hospital. And in one evening, it, that song, which was called We Dream a Brighter Day event, <laughs> <laughs> raised four hundred thousand dollars. Oh my God! Yes. So and that was why am I telling you and making that was the beginning of our very long relationship with children uh, and yes. those kinds of causes. Right. That song at UNICEF. So okay. So um, at some point, yeah, you moved from LA. That's right. And I'll tell you why. Okay. We had a little bungalow we were renting. We never owned anything. Right. In, uh, in, uh, And David appears. Yes. Right. 
we have the sun, and that's a whole other story. I know. A remarkable, incredible, miraculous story. And we realize, and I put it to people this way, when I realized that Lynn couldn't go to the variety store at night to get a quart of milk and be safe, mm. it was time to move from the valley, San Fernando Valley. And the Crips and the Bloods, or other gangs, had in effect moved into the San Fernando Valley, mm. as they have moved into many other places in Los Angeles. But I was not going to live a life that way. Mm -hmm. So we made a decision to come back to Boston, and I, I, I called my sisters. I had to leave a phone message to my older sister saying, we, we're moving back to Boston. We need a place to live. Could you please find us a place to live near the ocean but we don't have any money. <laughs> that was my exact message. Wow. So that's the first part of my story. Yeah, right. We moved. We moved in 1970. Uh, we no. moved in 1986. Right. 1986. Right. Okay, so, so now you, uh, apparently you found a place to live. <sighs> they pick us up at the airport. Right. They take us to Chelsea, Massachusetts, a place where my mother grew up in tenements. I mean, I'm not putting it down, but it's not, you know, it's right. third world kind of place. And, uh, and uh, I was a little bit glum, but they took us to all the neighborhoods, and then they got back on the highway. They kept driving and driving and driving north, north, north. Finally, the places I didn't even know to, like Gloucester. And they drove to this driveway near a beach at, like, a, uh, and they, they said, well, what are we doing here? They said, we have to, this is where the realtor lives. We have to pick up the key to the house. And I'm in the car and I'm thinking, uh, these are my sisters. <laughs> these are my sisters. They know my grandmother came from Romania. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> they said, oh, why don't you get out of the car? <laughs> I walked through these gigantic doors and walked through this living room with original oil paintings and all that. And, and well, oh, they come to, the, come to the end, there's these enormous Dutch doors, and they open up, and there's, there's a beach and an ocean. <laughs> and I think, what? <laughs> the owner of the house was the director of Hope, that's O'Care, oh. Care International. Uh -huh. Peter Bell was his name. My sister's. Uh, the house was for rent. Yeah. Right, right. Thousands of dollars. Yeah, yeah. My sisters gave him a copy oh. of We Dream a Brighter Day. You're kidding. And he rented it to us for the winter rates. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of like $3,000 a week, it was like $700 a month. Wow. Less, maybe. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I knew humanitarian work would do us some good. <laughs> Anyhow, and he, he understood. And so we lived there for a while, and David grew up in elementary school in Gloucester, Massachusetts, wow. where we waited for the yellow school bus to come around the ocean shore. <laughs> it was great. We'll never forget that. And we, of course, continued to perform when we could. Yeah. We continued to perform it. 
Lynn Jackson and Mike Poulter mm -hmm. to, to do, and expanded our work with children greatly. Yeah, let's talk about that now. We started to, to work with children in Lincoln, Massachusetts, Lincoln, Concord, so generally affluent uh, communities in Massachusetts where we would We'd use, we'd use well-known songs, always wonderful songs, use musical material, but we'd frame a show. Uh, we have a show called Wish Upon a Star, a tribute to Judy Garland mm -hmm. with, with uh, Mickey Rooney and all the other people they met, mm -hmm. surrounded by all the, the trolley song and over the rainbow, all, all, that, all that stuff, Atchison and Topeka and the Santa Fe, blah, 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 and with people playing the various parts. But, and, and I would write what we called word bridges between the songs, establishing scenes and everything. Uh, but there were, you know, particular problems to overcome. For instance, when you put on a play about Judy Garland, all the girls want to be Judy Garland. <laughs> so how do you have a situation where a lot of girls can, can play Judy Garland? Uh, we fig I figured that out. You stage it in heaven. So the whole first part of it was behind a scrim. Yeah. And so a, a whole part of it takes place in heaven. Oh. There are many Judy Garlands, <laughs> many angels, one Mickey Rooney, <laughs> <laughs> and one Toto, and that's how it, and the play ends with, our play ends with, come on, Toto, <laughs> and with a dog barking. Anyhow, and we did that. And a beautiful piano and a beautiful city hall auditorium there. And, and, and children would come. And uh, it was called Dream Star Productions. Mm -hmm. It was the brainchild of a, of, a, of a high school girl who we knew. Lynn and I wrote, played all the music. Our friend Rob Dimmick directed all the shows. Mm -hmm. And this lady, Becky, uh, it was her... her, it was her project. We did it for a long time. Mm -hmm. Until one year after a whole s series of wonderful productions, Rob Dimmick, who lived in Providence, said to us, you know, a lot of kids in Providence would really be, this would really be something for them, because they have nothing. Uh -huh. He meant the, the tremendous population of undeserved and disadvantaged, which the term we generally don't use, yeah. it's not politically correct, but, right. they're but they are. They are disadvantaged right. kids, many of them African-American, many of them Hispanic, right. and many of them uh, Caucasian, right. who are not served by anything like this. Right. And Rob convinced us, he persuaded us that it would be a, a great idea to, uh, to, to do it. It'd be a mitzvah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Although Rob being so much of a wasp, he thinks mitzvah is a piece of furniture. <laughs> and we've been doing Jazz as a Rainbow for 13 or 14 years. Wow. Yeah. Slowly building up supporters and stuff. And we work with the children every summer for two weeks. We write an original show this time. Wow. Totally original. Wonderful, exciting, humorous very educational, but not in a, in a great sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kids love it. And uh, what can I, uh, I can all, I'll, let me just say one thing and it'll perfectly picture the effect this has on children. Mm -hmm. We 
come across a, a, a very talented, very gifted African-American young lady. Maybe she's, uh, at the time, maybe she's 14. She wants to sing jazz, and she's a wonderful singer. And we have the pleasure. Oh, and we're doing a show. This particular show was a, a, a tribute, a celebration of Ella Fitzgerald, Sarah Vaughan, mm -hmm. Peggy Lee. Mm -hmm. We have the pleasure of sitting this girl down to hear one of the songs she's going to sing in the show. Poor Butterfly, sung by Sarah Vaughan someone she's never heard in her entire life. Right. And she begins to sob. Oh. And um, it's not the only time something like that has happened. And uh, lives have changed. Mm -hmm. We work with them for two weeks. Six hours a day. Wow. And, for the, and at the end of which, they do a, a dress rehearsal, a dress performance for their friends, relatives, parents, and then a public performance. Mm -hmm. Uh, performance lasts anywhere from about 45 minutes to an hour. And Lynn and I play augmented usually by one or two top flight other musicians, drummer, horn players, mm -hmm. sax, trumpet, whatever. And uh, that's what we do. They pay nothing. There are no ticket fees, no admissions. Mm -hmm. And we just, um, we have attracted, you know, and, and we get grants wherever we can and we get support. And... Um, we, that's what we do. And, and, and you should say now how people could donate if they wanted to, how they can get in touch with you. Very easy. It's simply jazz is a rainbow. Mm -hmm. The P.O. box is simply P.O. box 27, Manchester, Mass, 01944. Okay, I'll say it again at the end, yeah. of it, right? Yeah. Is there a website or, a, or an email or something or not? Actually... The best email is simply my name, mm -hmm. Michael Palter, M-I-C-H-A-E-L-P-A-L-T-E-R mm -hmm. at Comcast.net. That's simple and perfect and straightforward. Okay, so any information that you would like, you uh, can email to Michael, and any money that you would like to give, you can send to P.O. Box 27, 27, Manchester, Mass. Manchester, Mass. 01944. And I promise to send them people who are interested, the DVD of a latest performance. Uh -huh. Perfect. Which is sensational. <laughs> okay, so, so. Um, I have my last question. Great. I only have two, and this is the second one. I know, yeah, two questions. Having given a life to the work of music, which you clearly have, is there anything you would say about what that's like? It took a while. But Lynn and I finally discovered that the saying, uh, what is that saying? You, 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 you receive much more than you send? What is that saying? You, uh, well, in our case, we have received a hundredfold what we have given. Yeah. Now, two weeks ago, or three weeks ago, we were given an award. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, yeah, yeah. Paul Ray yeah. Lifetime Achievement Award in music. And I've said to people, the only good part of this award, mm -hmm. well, first of all, it's nice to, to be recognized, but it's much more important that this award can be used mm -hmm. to help 
us get support for our projects. Yeah, That's right. the only real meaning of the award. It's an award. Yeah, Good. Right. Good. Give me a cup of coffee and a donut. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy, honored, and all that stuff. It's, um, we've been able to stay very young and as you say, it is, it is a mitzvah. Mm -hmm. But it is a mitzvah not the saying, that's a mitzvah. <laughs> oh, no. 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 And, and uh, it's changed our lives. Mm -hmm. It's placed us somewhere else. And to those of you, some of you who may know Los Angeles, <laughs> city of no air, <laughs> and everyone trying to get ahead, and never knowing quite who your neighbor is, <laughs> Or well, where ahead is. Or <laughs> uh, where ahead is. Uh, uh, we're, we're blessed and finally we're fully blessed by the fact that finally Lynn, whose son David was born only because of a miracle, yes. has now become the grandparent of David's son. Oh my God! So, got any more questions? <laughs> no, I think that's a great place to stop. Yeah. Thank you very much, Michael. You're welcome. So I need hardly point out that when you hear Mike Palter, you are hearing who he really is, and as always. It is my hope that when you listen to people who make their living or their life with an art, like Mike Palter, you ask yourself, am I doing that? Am I living the life that most fits me? You can contact Mike or Lynn for Jazz is a Rainbow at Post Office Box 27, Manchester, Massachusetts, 01944, or Michael Palter, P-A-L-T-E-R, at Comcast.net if you want to get more information about Jazz as a Rainbow or if you want to send them money. <laughs>